This is Mark Schaefer, author of Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. This episode is sponsored by Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Mark Schaefer to talk about his book, Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy. Mark Schaefer is a talented and adorable, globally recognized (laughs) keynote speaker, college educator, marketing consultant, and author. His blog is one of the top marketing blogs in the world, and his marketing companion podcast is one of the top business shows. Mark has worked in global sales, PR, and marketing positions for more than 30 years, and now provides consulting services with Schaefer Marketing Solutions. He specializes in marketing training and strategy with clients as diverse as Dell, Johnson & Johnson, Adidas, and the U.S. Air Force. Off we go into the wild blue yonder. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development and is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. A career highlight for Mark was studying under Peter Drucker while earning his MBA. I was tremendously impressed. And interesting fact, Mark was popular in school. But to his parents' dismay, teachers noted on report cards that he was the class clown. Mark, congratulations on belonging to the brand, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Let's let's go back to that adorable part again. I like that. <laughs> now, just so the listener knows, that's from page 154. You were making a joke, and I just thought, all right, that's it. That's it. <laughs> You are talented and adorable, so yeah. But is but is isn't there something else you want to say in the introduction? Well, something about the important status of this show in my life. Yes. Well, you are now a member uh, of the Marketing Book Podcast Eight Timers Club. <gasps> And in addition to that, I've interviewed you for Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails after you recovered from coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. it was, I was glad to give you a life goal there to pull you through. And you were generous enough to do a really cool bonus episode on how to write a marketing book. Real big hit with the listeners. So I, I appreciate that. And but let me, let me uh, back up here for a second, Mark. I, so you were a class clown. I was also the class clown. And some might argue, I still am. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. So, <laughs> speaking of Johnson & Johnson, uh, Mark, you've worked with <laughs> Woody Johnson is the owner of the New York Jets. I don't know if you knew that. When they hired you, did they know that you're a Steelers fan? No. 
Probably not. I probably, probably hit that. that yeah. Okay. Well, the cat's yeah. out of the bag now. So, is that is I mean, is that the same family that yeah. owns the Jets? Yeah. Okay. Wow. And it used to be owned by Leon Hess from the Hess Gas Stations in, in, in New uh, York. Yeah. At one point, I worked on the Hess account, and so did uh, you really? Yeah. I'll, I'll t- here's 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 a, f- a fun little fun little factoid. So I've had my own business since 2008 when I left the corporate world. And since 2008, I only interviewed for one job because I love what I do. It was with Hess Oil. You're kidding. No, they were looking for a, for a VP of marketing. And I, you know, I got a call from a headhunter and I always say no. And then for I open I actually opened up the PDF of what they were looking for, and it was like a mirror image of me. And I thought, there's no way they're going to find somebody like this. I mean, I'm the perfect candidate. Oh so my I thought, goodness! What the-? So I thought, what the heck? What the heck? You know, I'll give it a try. So flew up to Woodbridge, New Jersey, yes. to their headquarters, and spent a couple days there. And um, it was it was down between me and and in. And an internal candidate, and they hired the internal candidate. Wow, I did not know that. And I thought yeah. I knew – Nobody knows that. I thought I knew everything about Mark Schaefer because – and I don't know if the listener knows this, but I am the president of the Mark Schaefer fan club. And now, oh. in answer to your own ask question, listener, I was not elected, but I seized control when I saw the opportunity, <laughs> and I've had a death grip on it ever since. <laughs> Things were a little out of control at the time, and I just saw my opportunity. I took it, my friend. Good. So good. that's interesting about your background with with Hess. So yeah, the other thing is you're a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Eight Timers Club, along with your friend David Merman Scott. You got to put an asterisk by that. And look, I love David. He's become a good friend of mine. He's a Renaissance man and a brilliant, brilliant, interesting man. And I hope everybody gets to know his work. But let's face it: to join the eight book club on your show. He had to resurrect a book from five years ago to get into the club. So that's the asterisk. That was in December of 2022, and it was a book from 2014, and it was all my idea. Because yeah. oh, it was the fiftieth, it was the fiftieth anniversary of the final Apollo mission when I yeah. published that interview. So, well, I love I love that episode, and I, I I got I did like a deep dive on his NASA collection after I listened to that oh, interview. Oh wow, so, that's yeah, great! Yeah, that's great. I, I'm I'm a big NASA geek too. Oh, cool! So, as you may have heard, he's the patron saint of the Marketing Book Podcast, but Mark Schaefer is the king of the Marketing Book Podcast. Okay, this is a long time, and you know this is a something that's very important, and it's really important to a lot of uh, people in the United Kingdom. And it's it's not because Mark is a king like this. No, it's not that kind of king. It's more of an American king, like our king. So. When I say you know the king, I mean like the king of rock and roll, Elvis. And I just the similarities between you and Elvis are, are just they're so obvious to me. I mean, you both endless. Yeah, you endless. Li- he lived in Tennessee. You live in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He lived at a compound. You have a very beautiful uh, gated compound there. When he went on stage, people went crazy. When you go mm-hmm. on stage, p- people go crazy. And yeah, 
uh, just for the, so the listener knows, and this is with Mark's permission, I'd like to announce that henceforth, when Mark Schaefer gives a keynote address, he will be wearing a white Elvis Presley Las Vegas jumpsuit with lots mm-hmm. of sequins. So thank you for thank you for announcing that. For yeah, me. it's true. It's and he's true. gonna he's gonna be wearing it all the time. So if if you ever see. Mark, and he's not wearing the Elvis Presley jumpsuit, I want you to confront him, even if it's at the airport or, you know, at, at the hotel, the convention center. So, you know, just, I'm here to <laughs> you announce. You know people are going to do that. I you hope know so. they are. I want them to know that they heard this interview. Because this show is so popular, and every this is going to become a meme. I guarantee you. I hope so. The day this show goes live, there's going to be a meme on Twitter. No question. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. And and it better not come from you. Let someone else do it. Fine, fine. For my from my my Airstats community. But listen, Mark, you know, associating you with Elvis Presley is a big deal for me. And I am mm. not kidding. I'm the guy who surprised my wife at the end of our wedding reception with an Elvis impersonator. Seriously. And and fortunately, she thought it was funny, or that would have been a very short <laughs> marriage. And now Ooh. every year on our wedding anniversary. She gets a little Elvis souvenir. Oh, poor woman. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. So, uh, and and actually, uh, w- one of our wedding gifts was a uh, really tacky porcelain bust of Elvis, which is uh, you know has a place of honor uh, in our home. So it should. It should. Yeah. So, you know, we were both class clowns. You know, I think. You know, you have a lot in common with Elvis. So do I. Elvis and I were both born in the Deep South. Elvis and I both served in the U.S. Army in Germany, and mm, Mark, mm, mm. that's where the similarities only begin. So, enough about me. You have fabulous hair. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, I do say so myself. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Your hair makes me swoon. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know what? Elvis had blonde <laughs> hair, and he dyed it black. Did you know that? Is that true? And that is why people listen to the Marketing Book Podcast, for really worthless trivia. But it's true. And he was also born he was born a twin and the other twin died. Yeah, I think I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh let's get on to the book. Enough about me, as they say. But at the end of the interview, we can talk about how uh, everybody can join Mark's community. And I'm gonna have links to it on this episode's website page at Marketing Book Podcast. Now, Mark, I don't normally mention the dedication of a book because it's usually quite personal. I've never seen a dedication like this one. You wrote, you pick up a book. Start with the dedication and find that once again the author has dedicated a book to someone else and not you. Not this time. Just Mm-mm. because we just because we haven't met doesn't mean we won't in a community someday. It might just be the best thing ever. So this is for you, my future best friend. So Mark, I want to read from the intro, but before I do, I just want to mention that it's my sense that you don't seem to write a book until you find a seam in the marketing universe. What's the callback to one of your earlier books? Mm-hmm. A seam in the marketing universe that just torments you and probably keeps mm-hmm. you up at night, and you can't live with yourself until you figure it out and write a book about it, which is why your books are so uh, so fresh and so new, and I, I just I love reading them. So, Thank uh, you, Doug. Thank I hope, you, Doug. Hopefully, it's, you're, it's, hopefully you're getting some sleep now. It's true, and... I had the the honor last week of interviewing Tom Peters. Tom, uh, you know, he's a legend. Mm -hmm. He was named um, as one of the top 10 business authorities of the century, along with Peter Drucker. And um, 
he, I, I talked to him last year and um, he said he was retiring and now he's back and he's sort of like put together this new little, little book. And I said, um, what's, what's going on? I thought you were retired. And he said, you, you, you write the key to, to, to great leadership. The, the key to being a great speaker or a great writer is that you're desperate for your ideas to get out. Yes. And that's the way I feel. I mean, that is true for me, is that the things I write about, I believe in so much and I'm so passionate about it. And I know these things will help people. And so uh, you're, you're right. I mean, it, I've been very consistent writing books, averaging about one every two years. But I don't have a plan to write a book. I don't have like a content map ahead of me. <laughs> it's just like it's, – it's, it's, it's just as you say. It's like a, bo- a, a dog – chasing a tennis ball in a, this frenzied way where it just you just can't give up you just keep going and going and going and you can't let it go and when i have an idea like that and only when i have an idea like that it's time to to to, to write a book oh. and if i don't have another idea like that then there won't be any more books it's got to be something that it it just takes hold of me because I'm going to spend a lot of time with it. It's going to require a lot of sacrifice. And I know that the people, I have one thing in my mind when I write a book, and it is this, I will never let you down. When you read one of my books, there is going to be an idea, a lesson, an inspiration on every single page. And I'll never write a book unless I can deliver that. Mm. Well, you certainly deliver on it, and you really pour your heart out, and you... I, I get emotionally involved in the in the what you're writing about, and just I, you know, what can I say? <laughs> I'm a big Mark Schaefer fan, so I'm guilt. I plead guilty to that. So let me read the uh, intro and then uh, get into it. Uh, a few of the things I know this will be frustrating for you because there's only you know a few things we can pull out in the, in the time we have. So you write the book in your hands contains insights that can grow your company, create an unassailable competitive advantage, and transform your view of marketing forever. It might even help mm-hmm. heal the world. I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm sure I'm right. The idea of belonging to the brand is something I've thought about, obsessed about, for years. The notion started brewing for me in 2018 when I wrote a popular book called Marketing Rebellion. It served as a wake-up call for marketers slumbering through the momentous changes taking place in consumer behavior. I suggested that marketers set aside their algorithms and automated programs for a moment to reimagine our profession through the lens of fundamental human needs like love, meaning, and respect. In one chapter, I proposed that the need for belonging and community would emerge as a priority for our future marketing plans. When I finished writing Marketing Rebellion, I recognized that this chapter was singularly important. In a world where fewer customers see or trust our ads, the white-hot competition of content marketing isn't sustainable, and profitable success with search engine strategies is out of reach for many businesses. Community seems to be an underdeveloped customer access point. Helping a person belong to something represents the ultimate marketing achievement. If a customer opts into an engaging, supportive, and relevant brand community, we no longer need to lure them into our orbit with ads and SEO, right? What we used to consider marketing is essentially over. 
30 years ago, this scenario would have been impossible. Consumers had no choice back then. In order to know about our company, nonprofit, hospital, or university, they had to engage with our ads and intrusive marketing messages. But a 10-year examination on hundreds of thousands of buyer journeys concluded that two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And it's likely even worse than that for B2B companies. Today, our brand story is narrated through social media posts, reviews, testimonies, influencers, and powerful content creators. Month by month, our traditional marketing grows weaker. The power of customers and creators grows stronger. In 2018, I knew that belonging to a brand would become an essential source of meaning for consumers who were ignoring, blocking, and streaming their way past conventional sales and marketing practices. And Mark, you then go on to write that you had no idea how rapidly your prediction would come true. <laughs> what happened? Well, the um, exactly one year <clears throat> after I wrote those words and wrote The Marketing Rebellion, the pandemic hit. And during the pandemic, people started writing me saying, Mark, these things that you predicted are coming true right now. Mm -hmm. I thought it would be years away, but the pandemic really accelerated a lot of trends in our world. And one of those was this, this idea of loneliness and isolation and depression had been creeping up as a mental health issue, as a health crisis really, since the 60s. And the pandemic really just amplified it. And what we found was... During the pandemic, 85% of Americans said that their, their most important social connection was an online community. And this, the, the whole idea of the mental health crisis just seemed to explode. It was everywhere. And what really confirmed it to me, Doug, what really made me see this is creeping into culture and marketing in an appropriate way was during March Madness last year, Powerade ran ads. Now, Powerade is a sports drink. It's supposed to make you feel more powerful and stronger. Their whole ad campaign was called Pause. And the spokesperson was Simone Biles. And it was saying, look, Stop, just breathe, take time off, get your head together and stop, you know, walk away from the pressure of the world. And I just thought that was remarkable. And I think this idea of mental health and mental wellness is going to be a mega trend for businesses at least for the next decade. And what 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 Another one of the real incentives for me when I wrote this book is I saw this headline in the New York Times that haunted me. It said, this is the loneliest generation. It was talking about Gen Z and how they're suffering. And a f just a few weeks ago, I saw this, this uh, research report that said 51% of American adults aged 18 to 24 have sought medical attention for a mental issue, mental health issue, 51%. The average for all other generations, including me and you, is 24%. It's just like this tsunami of mental health problems. And, and then when you start to dig into 
the power of community. We need community. We need community for, for our personal identity. The psychology of community, the sociological aspects of community are so important, so profound. And many traditional institutions where we, that we used to belong to are kind of going away. Mm-hmm. We're, not even going, we're not even going to work anymore. You know, we're, I, I, I talked to one of my, one of my students at, at one of my classes, and she said, my daughter just uh, graduated from college. Her last year and a half of college was spent studying online in her bedroom, and now she just got an online job. So this, this important transition in her life over the last two years basically has meant moving from one room to another. Mm. And this isolation and depression, this loneliness has just built and built and built, and the numbers are overwhelming. And our customers are crying out. They're longing to belong. And community isn't anything new. But it really hasn't been looked at through the lens of emotion, emotional connection with customers. Mm-hmm. Most, most brand communities fail because they're set up to sell stuff. Right. Of the, of the communities that are left, 70% of them are dedicated toward customer self-service, which is fine, but you're missing all of the emotion. And that's what great branding is, creating an emotional connection between you and your customers and fans, and businesses are ignoring that. Right, and I think you said (laughs) with 70% only using community for customer support, they're missing out on like 90% of the opportunities to build a community. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. And 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 I want to emphasize, like like all of my books, when I propose bold ideas and bold statements, and and sort of peering into the future, this isn't my view of the world. Every one of these statements in the book is backed up by take it to the bank research from you know psychologists, sociologists, academics, and I don't think anybody's really put the pieces together like that to say, oh my gosh, there's this huge opportunity just waiting for us. I mean, like here, here's just something to think about, Doug. Have you ever been to a marketing event that had a panel discussion or a speaker talk about community? No, Mm-mm. it's just completely, it's, it's oblivious. People talk about how can we do better on our Facebook ads and how can we do better with, you know, SEO and how do we tweak this and how do we get on a TikTok? And we've got this massive opportunity just waiting for us and 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 companies just aren't looking at it that way. Yes, and this will be episode 419 and there's only been one other book out of all those books about community. TV advertising is a powerful channel for business growth, and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing. But the traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, 
time-consuming and complex. That's why marketing architects flip the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary... They wrote a book about it. It's called All Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. You write that mental health and wellness will be among the most dominant megatrends for decades to come. So let's step back, though, to talk more about Mark Schaefer, because, I mean, that's that's what people want to hear about. Mm-hmm. Tell us your story about when you were in uh, high school mm-hmm. and uh, about that uh, biker gang you joined. Born to be wild. Uh, that's not quite the story. I don't know what book you were reading, but that that's not the story. Okay, okay, okay. Well, tell us what happened. Well, uh, honestly... It started in Pittsburgh, then worked its way to West Virginia, switched schools a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I think I would get emotional really kind of talking about the, the details of the book. Well, let's just say I, I moved to, to West Virginia, a small town in West Virginia, and... Um, there was an attempt at uh, sexual molestation on me that required me to hide mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, just become uh, a shadow. I mean, literally a shadow for a couple years and um, didn't really have any community, didn't really have any friends. And I was sinking into a bad place. And then I got into high school and it was even it was worse because I had to change schools again and had to start all over again. And um, then something really amazing happened. I don't know what possessed me to do this. It might have been a sheer act of desperation, but I tried out for the high school musical. I was a freshman, and nobody knew me, and I don't know what possessed. The, the the very popular theater teacher to pick me, but I got the lead in the play. Singing uh, Jim Croce, Time in a Bottle, at the audition. Because it was so easy to sing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, it, I, it, you know, I knew the words and I, and so, um, but anyway, they needed kind of a, you know, a wholesome kind of character. And uh, so I got this, I got this, this thing. And now all of a sudden, I belong to something and and people reached out to me because the the play was a big deal. The jocks were in it, mm-hmm. the geeks were in it, the cheerleaders were in it, the band people, everybody was in this play. And so everybody wanted to be my friend. And what haunts me is again, I mean, I went down a lot of rabbit holes <clears throat> on the research and the and the psychology of of community that that these formative teen years really influence how you show up in the world. And, and it made me wonder, what would have happened to me if I stayed in this 
shadow existence. Mm-hmm. Belonging to something changed my life. It unleashed this power inside of me. I became a leader. I got involved in student government and in sports, and I was I won all these awards and scholarships, and I excelled in college and business. And I, and I wondered even out loud in the book, would I even be writing this book if this miracle hadn't happened? And now, what does this mean for the world? Now, just think about all these statistics we talk about with the young people today. In some ways, they were, were where I was when I was 13 or 14 years old. What if they don't get unleashed? What are we going to be missing in this world? It's another way to look at the problem. And, and I'm not being Pollyannish here. I'm not being, uh, I'm not brushing with such a broad stroke that I'm saying, you know, the, the mission of a community is to change people or save people or, or change the world. I'm just saying it's a huge marketing opportunity with other impacts with very positive impacts on our human being customers. And let's not overlook that. Yes, absolutely. And I appreciate you telling the story. And Mark, that was the part of the book that just really got my attention. The part where you talk about it, and then you explain what would have happened if I had an audition, because the transformation was was very dramatic. It really had me thinking. So let's get to a couple of uh, definitions, if you don't mind. Explain the difference between community and audience. I appreciate the fact that you delineate those in the book. Well, I'll even kind of go back a step and, and, and connect the dots between social media, audience, and community. And uh, again, what we're trying to do as businesses and brands is to, is to reinforce this emotional connection that we have with our customers. Now, there is an opportunity to do that with social media, and almost every company is doing that. But it's a weak relational bond. Mm-hmm. We can put out information, and maybe people will see it, and maybe they won't. And even if they like us, that doesn't mean they're going to buy from us. So it's a weak relational link. But almost everybody is doing that. Social media is still important because it represents potential. We can People can find us that maybe we never heard of before. Now, where most companies are today, they've migrated to step two, which is an audience that you would get through some kind of content, like you're doing. You have an audience, a powerful audience that loves you. They love your show. And I've done the same thing through my blog, my podcast, uh, my books. And this is great because it raises the level of emotional connection. It, you now have reliable reach. People are opting into you. They're subscribing to you and in a virtual way saying, it's okay to market to me. I love you. I believe in what you're doing. And that's awesome. The problem is it's still sort of a cult of personality. If you go away or your content goes away, the audience goes away. This And this brings us to community, which I think is, you know, as you so kindly narrated in my introduction, this is sort of the ultimate Mm -hmm. in emotional connection. This is the third step. But, you know, businesses haven't made this transition. 
Right. It can go stuck. on beyond you or me or whoever the, yeah, the person. Th- yeah, that's right. So, so you know, what if you create this community where the, where people are there for each other? Now, one of the things that that I think is an important lesson in this book is I spent a lot of time talking about how community is so much different than traditional marketing, and 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 one of these things is this is this idea that the focus in a community to really get the most power out of it, it's not focusing on the relationship between you and the customer. It's focusing on customers building relationships with each other. That's where the bond occurs. And all that friendship and love and collaboration spills over to the brand. And it creates this emotional switching cost between you and everybody else. Because mm-hmm. people want to come to this community. That's where their peeps are. That's where the that's where the they're learning and they're growing and they're challenging each other. And if they would leave the brand, they're leaving all that. So it's a it's a very, very different way to look at marketing, but it, it it's sort of the ultimate emotional connection. Let's talk about something important. Let's talk about the business case for community. All right. On page 24, you write, 80% of startups are investing in community as a primary marketing strategy, and 28% consider it to be most critical to their success. And on page 48, you write that perhaps the most compelling reason to consider a community-based marketing strategy is that you may not have a choice. Explain why companies may not have a choice at this point. Well, that I, I kind of made that's the business case really of, of marketing rebellion. Marketing rebellion, my last book, was really kind of a wake up call to say all this stuff that we've been doing just doesn't work anymore, especially by with a younger generation, with all of us who are now streaming our content, we're watching all these wonderful shows on Netflix and Disney Plus, and we don't see ads and we listen to music all day on Spotify and we don't hear ads and we listen to audiobooks and we don't hear ads and something like 800 million people in the world have ad blockers on their smart <laughs> devices yes. and 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 don't get, don't even get me started about the amount of money that's wasted on social media SEO and this you know merry-go-round of content marketing uh, that's mostly a big waste of money mm-hmm. <laughs> these days it just it, it's it's very difficult to to compete in any of those areas so that's what i mean when we don't really have a choice now the the statistic you teased out about the the startups one of the themes in in marketing rebellion that kind of carries over to this book is the young people the young entrepreneurs are really showing us the the future the new way. And I just thought this was a fascinating statistic that startups, these young people, they're saying, look, we're not going to do all this crap. We're not going to interrupt you. We're not going to spam you. We're not going to send you direct mail and, you know, ruin the environment. We got we have to start with community because that's what we want. It's the only kind of marketing people want. 
the only kind of marketing people will embrace. Period. End of story. And you know, you, you, you started talking about the business case. Well, today we're in. We're another issue is we're moving into this post cookie world, right? Oh, yeah. Where mm-hmm. we we can't get. Uh, data. We can't collect data. We can't follow our customers around on the web. Increasingly, that's becoming a problem. And that's Google killing ha- Facebook's stock price. It's killing Facebook. And look, Google's committed to ending that too. Not because they're trying to hurt businesses, because they know customers don't want that anymore. Privacy is a big issue. And if look, if Google doesn't make the change, it's going to be regulated anyway. So this access to first-party data is, you know, going away. But in a community, you have it. In a community, you've got conversations going all all day long. And you can see data, collect data. You can interact with people. You've got the opportunity for collaboration, co-creation. This is what we're seeing in communities like at Nike, like at Lego, like at Ikea. Uh, where they've got the customers actually getting patents, sharing in the IP, sharing in the products through these uh, communities. Uh, there's opportunities for sharing information quickly. There's opportunities to build trust in general. Trust around advertising, marketing, and brands has gone down for the last 15 years. That's from the Edelman Trust Barometer. Trust is still high in communities. So there's, there's, I, I list, you know, more than a dozen brand marketing, emotional, tangible benefits that are incredibly valuable and almost entirely overlooked by businesses today. Yes, absolutely. And just to add to that, one of the most important ideas in the book is on page 119, where you write, today's consumers will block you, ban you, and run (laughs) away from you if they sense you're trying to manipulate them with your marketing. Instead of sell, 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 you need to help, help, help. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? I have a very excitable audience there. Yeah. yeah. So my, my my book is like the straight man. <laughs> that no, but I however, I was getting pretty fired up when I was reading this like I usually do with your books. Damn it, Schaefer. Yeah. So, you Good. know, one one of the other great lines that I just loved was uh on page 58 where you write the customer is the marketer. The customer is the marketer and when I mention this to some companies they're they're not even there yet they do not understand. oh yeah i know i know i know it makes my hair hurt Ugh. and that's good looking hair as you mentioned it's fabulous it's fabulous like i said i swoon over your hair but let's 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 not go there because okay you know, yeah but actually don't want, i mean swooning would be just not a good look for me right well now. we're in different states so you know not, nothing to worry about but let me ask you let me ask you a a very specific question from uh, Chapter 4 about Dana Malstaff. Oh, yeah. And y- explain what – I think she was you, – you quoted her where she said, the biggest mistake people make 
is inviting a bunch of paying customers to a Facebook group and calling it a community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, th- I still think that's what a lot of folks think uh, is a community. This is a a, a remarkable channel uh, chapter. This is my tenth book. This is the first time I've ever devoted a chapter to one person, and it is well, well deserved. Her name is spelled Dana, but it's actually pronounced Dana. And Dana, my apologies. Uh, I, yeah, well, no, I mean, how would you know? Because it is, it looks like Dana. But you know, Dana, I met her when I was writing marketing rebellion and kind of on the lookout for people who are doing alternative uh, takes on, on marketing. And I met her and I just thought, this is the future. This is the future. Now just think about this. So Dana was an entrepreneur. She was just churning and burning and doing great. And she got pregnant and uh, her and her husband you know, they wanted to start a family, but she was under a lot of pressure from one part of her, from her part of her family to say, look, you know, you you really have to pay attention to this business. Another part of her family was saying, you really got to pay attention to be a, being a mother. And she wanted to do both. So long story short, she created a Facebook group called Boss Mom. And her what Dana's value is to this group is to create a safe place where mothers who also want to be entrepreneurs feel nurtured, feel validated, feel supported, to give them the resources they need to coach them, to teach them, to support them, so that they can be fulfilled mothers and entrepreneurs. That's the goal of the community. Now, she started this around 2016. In the first nine months of this community, she was making a six-figure income. The business has doubled every year. She now has nearly 80,000 members of her community. She's she told me, you know, she said, I'm not quite a millionaire, but I'm close. So she wouldn't let me call her a millionaire, but she's close. And here's the kicker. She has no sales team. She has no sales expenses. She has no marketing team. She has no marketing plan. She has no marketing budget. She has 80,000 people who will simply buy whatever she is creating because they trust her and they love her. And she's, she's built many ways to monetize this community through, uh, through courses, through books, through training, through coaches, through coaching, through events. And she can, I mean, she's absolutely a visionary genius. And this is an example where it's not just a business that has a community, the community is the business. And that is a powerful idea. Another significant case study in the book was a, a, a marketing agency in the UK. That It was a traditional B2B agency where the, com- the community they built is now so important and so profound and growing so fast. The community is bigger than the traditional business. Nobody even knows 
what this traditional business does anymore because they're so devoted to this community. Oh, Mark Masters. Mark Masters. Yeah, you the are the community, media. You are the media. Mm-hmm. And 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 Mark cre- was very very uh, helpful, generous, and and really vulnerable in the interview that I did, and he's featured in the book. And he, and he talks about, I mean, this challenges everything I knew about marketing and management and leadership, but it works because now I just don't have a business to be proud of. I have a legacy. I have a community. I have something that really has meaning and is helping people beyond this dog-eat-dog B2B business world. So I know I said a lot there, but but it, 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 this the, the reason I fe- featured Dana is because this story is just so compelling and so uh, profound, it can't help but make an impact on anybody that's a doubter out there. Like you said, the accountants folding their arms saying this is fluff to see what this a young woman is doing to not just have a spectacular business, but to nurture and heal people in her community. Yeah. So I want to read a section from page 116 that I just thought was fantastic, parts of it. You write, the future of marketing involves no discernible marketing. And then (laughs) (laughs) more line that just really got my attention. And then lower on that page, you write, here's the truth. You don't have control of your brand. A brand used to be what a company told you it was, but now almost all your sales are coming from people talking about you online or in real life from recommendations and reviews and from the testimonies of trusted friends and influencers. Today, a brand is what we tell each other. So why not provide the safe space for that magical conversation to happen. So I want to jump ahead uh, and ask you a, a bit about gathering your community. What Can you talk about some of the foundational ideas of gathering your first community as part of your marketing strategy? I studied hundreds of different communities, how they started, uh, what the founders did, and they all seemed to have a common theme. The people were already there in some way or form. Um, it could have been friends in a Facebook group. In, in Mark Master's example, it was people that were meeting for lunch once a month. In Bournemouth. In Bournemouth, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it was um, – there's a, there's a really fun case study in the book – about uh, Twitch, and and the founder of of Twitch, a guy named Justin, um, had started this software where people could like live stream their their lives, and he kept noticing that doggone it, these gamers keep you know spending all their time on here. What the heck are they doing? Who would want to live stream a game? Well, it just, it turned out that that was, there was so much energy there. There was so much passion there. He created an entire live stream service, arguably the biggest community in the world, uh, called Twitch. And so, so it's like p- people were, were telling him 
we love this. We want to be together. We want to connect. And they also have live events so that people can meet face to face because that takes this emotional connection you know, up another level. So number one is the the first people in a community may be already there. They may be customers. They may be in your audience. Um, they may be people that you're in a club with or, you know, you have some social activity with them. And then it's just a matter of fanning the flames and and defining what the unifying purpose is. This is a really important idea and why most communities fail because companies say, well, here's our purpose. You know, our purpose is to have the best customer service anywhere, or our purpose is to have the largest selection of deli meats, or to have the lowest prices of automobiles in the tri-state area. But that's all about them. That could be a point of marketing differentiation. Maybe you're going to put that in an ad, but that's not a reason to gather. So you need to think about how does your purpose intersect with a passion or purpose of your customers? How can you create something bigger, bolder, more impactful, more important together rather than alone? How do you ignite the purpose and passion of, of people who, who, you know, who already love you, who already, you know, who are already fans. And, and so I've got a whole chapter on, you know, on that idea to emphasize, here are some prompts, here are some things to think about. One of the easy to acknowledge uh, examples, I think, because this is such a popular case study, at least in America, is Harley-Davidson. Harley-Davidson, they're well known for their community. Harley Owners Group, the Hogs. They go on rides together. They go to bars together. 700,000 of them gather in Sturgis, South Dakota every year. It's a very, very famous case study. I belong to two Harley owners groups. I didn't know if you knew that. Do you really? Yeah. That's, yeah. Now, I don't have any tattoos or facial hair yet, so I'm kind of a provisional member. Ah, They're they're a little suspicious around me. Work your way up. Work your way I'm up. I'm kidding. They're very nice folks. It's it's people from. They all are. Over. Yes. They're, I mean, there's a um, there's a Harley dealership down the road from us, and they have music events there, and we go hang out there all the time. It's it's a fun fun group of people. Yes. But here's the difference. <clears throat> Harley sells transportation like any other motorcycle company or any other car company, and but you never hear Harley having ads that go, we're going crazy. It's a President's Day sale. Come down today, $2,000 off. You will never hear that from Harley. You will never get some kind of like coupon for for Harley. And they don't have to because their purpose, the mission from the top of the company to the bottom of the company is to help people's dreams come true through the lifestyle of motorcycling, which is a friendly way of saying, we want to make you a badass. You want to be a badass. We're going to do everything we can, starting with the sound of our motorcycle, Mm -hmm. the look of a motorcycle, the events that we have, you're going to be a badass. 
And because that, in, that purpose intersects with the purpose of their customers, that's what makes them unique and successful and a community, community-driven marketing business. It's a community-led business from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, in our remaining time, let me just jump to a couple of things that are, uh, I think are just uh, either blindingly uh, important or uh, very, very tactical. Uh, one is that you very nicely explain that community-based marketing requires a new leadership mindset. It is a different way of of thinking, which is just – it's just like uh, the muscle memory, I think, of most, most marketers – uh, is, is that is a great way to put it? Is is oh, more wish. is not so community yeah. oriented, but I think by having that in the book where you explain the difference, it's it gets us started in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to learn that less than thirty percent of brand community leaders report to marketing. Yes, <laughs> who do they report to? And explain why you recommend that they should report to marketing. Well, it's, it, it, it's kind of – they're just kind of lost, aren't they? I mean, how can it not be part of marketing? Marketing should be in charge of the customer experience at every customer touch point, every single one. And I just can't imagine that there's a more important customer touch point than the community. But you're right. Um it doesn't uh, – most companies don't even have it under marketing, which is just crazy. I, I, and, I was surprised. And I think, that's, I think that's part of the problem is that you know, it, it's, it's really mostly looked at as a customer service function, which – and, and again, I want to repeat, that's fine as a start, but don't miss – the, the the bigger picture. And I love, love, love the way you characterize this as muscle memory. I'm probably going to use that Please. Uh, in my <laughs> in my speeches and my because you're right. It's a great way to put it. It's like a you know it's like a guitarist that doesn't even have to think. They're on automatic, right? Yeah. And and that's the way Which is why I've they're a good been. guitarist. In other words, they they've yeah. they've had a lot of the right uh and, muscle memory. And and, and and it might be the same for me and you and other experienced marketers that if you see a certain pattern, it ignites this muscle memory, say, okay, that's what we need to do. But getting into community, it's upside down. It's just upside down. And it starts with the commitment that most marketing is is ephemeral. Oh, let's try this. Let's experiment this. Let's try some you know, ads on Google or <coughs> Facebook or Amazon. Eh, maybe it'll work. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you'll see the ad. Maybe you don't. But a community is a commitment. There's a there's an underlying promise that this isn't going to go away. That's the first thing that I think is kind of profound. And then you look at the psychology, the sociology of community and how it works. And now your priority becomes safety, comfort in the community. I mean, that's the job. It's the culture. Your job as the marketer isn't to sell stuff. It's to create a culture. And in my own community, my job is to protect the culture and to dispense status, which I've learned through the research and my own experience is absolutely essential. If, if the people are active in a community because they have hope to be acknowledged, to be listened to. 
And as long as they have that hope that someone's going to listen to me and pay attention to me, and maybe I'll even earn a badge, that's what really propels things forward. Yes, uh, back to the muscle memory thing. You talk several times in the book about how <laughs> so 70% of companies that try to set up communities blow it because they're just trying to sell to those folks. And the other book was by John O'Bacon about community, and he talked about uh, a similar thing where you're, you're not there to get them to buy from you. They will if you do it right. And the other thing that he talked about was they don't work – your community doesn't work for you either. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you probably saw some examples of companies thinking, why aren't these people doing what we, what we want them to do? Well, even in my, even in my own community, Doug, um, like I had a certain vision of what we would do and what the conversations would be. And once people got in there, they started moving it in a whole nother direction. Yes, yes. And, and my muscle memory was, wait a minute, that's not the vision. <laughs> right. And that, that's why it seems like that would be – Oh, really unsettling for companies who are used to being. It in was control. unsettling for me. Yeah, it was unsettling. Mark Masters talks about it, where it, you know you really have to relearn. But if you're if you're humble and patient, what happens is the community will take you in a better direction. There, I mean, they're connected to the world in diverse and unique ways that you're not. Right, and you're my, not leading my, the parade my, anymore. No, and my, and my community, they've planted flags all over the world. They're immersed in their culture all over the world. Uh, we, we, we have part, these little fun little parties. We experiment in the, in the metaverse. You know, we're learning how to move around oh, right, and give yeah. presentations in the metaverse. At the end of our last metaverse party, we were on this fake digital ski slope with the sun setting over the mountains and we all believe it or not got in a hot tub a digital hot tub and i was in a hot tub with people from belgium and ireland and australia and canada and germany and uh it was a ball and and that was fun but i'm also building these these connections these these tethers uh, to other parts of the world, and they are teaching me, and they are pushing me, and they are pulling me, and this has become my university, and that's what it can be for any company or any brand to learn what is going on out there, what's changing, what do we need to know, how do you help us, how can we help you, and it's it's more powerful than I could ever explain. And you know, one of the business cases uh, is that companies can learn so much from their community, much more than they would have paid a research firm a fortune just a few years ago, if you would just mm. listen to them. So you give the example of Mark saying, oh, it's going – Mark Masters or, or yourself mm. saying, oh, this is where it's going. Okay, well, I'm I'm listening. Well, Mark – before we wrap up, it's time to talk about what makes community managers cower in fear. I'm talking about measurement. And oh, I want to yeah. quote from page 176 where you write, This book specifically advocates expanding the role of community as a linchpin to marketing and branding strategy, positioning community within the scope of marketing strategy and reporting to the marketing department makes the job of measurement easier 
as we've discussed. To quantify community value through a marketing lens, you first have to understand the two different types of marketing and how they connect to community and measurement. Please explain. I love this chapter of the book. <laughs> I, I really, My hope, Doug, is that all these frustrated community managers out there in the world will take this book and give it to their manager and said, see, look at this. We told you so. Don't take my word um, for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back a step and say, we, we already talked about this idea that, that 70% of the communities out there are focused on customer self-service. Why? Because it's easy to measure. Yes. It keeps the accountants happy. Now, what about advocacy? Loyalty, trust, collaboration. It's super hard to measure. And the example I give in the book is the difference between Gatorade and Powerade. Yes. And I, something happened the other day, and your, your international listeners may not know about this because I actually asked some people over in Europe, they said, we have no idea what you're talking about. So in America, if, if there's a big match and there's a great victory, the players will sneak up behind a player or a coach and dump the big vat of Gatorade, this popular sport drink, over their head with the ice. And it's a moment that everybody's waiting for and it's replayed over and over and over. Right. And they don't do now, it to the losing coach. <laughs> no. Now, here's what happened. The, the other day, I've been watching a lot of the football games, the bowl games, and remarkably, one of these games was actually sponsored by Powerade, which is a distant, distant, distant number two competitor to Gatorade. Gatorade owns 80% of the $30 billion sports drink market. And a premium price. Double the price. Yeah. More than double the price. So here's what happened, Doug. These players snuck up, and I noticed... I'll be darn, that's Powerade. You'd almost never see that in American sports. And here's what the sports announcer said. Here comes the Gatorade bath. Oh, that must have made the sponsor cringe. Even when Powerade got in there. So that's how, how powerful and dominant and beloved Gatorade is. Now, Gatorade is 80% of the sports drink market. Can you prove that sponsoring a stadium, a team, getting Gatorade in these vats, going over, being poured over somebody's head, does that sell more Gatorade? They've got 80% market share. The answer is yes. Can you measure it? No. That's brand marketing. Now, Powerade they, I mean, for Pete's sakes, Gatorade sponsors, like, one of their spokespeople is Lionel Messi, right? I mean, <laughs> that's how, you know, so they're, they're connecting themselves to culture and cultural moments. They're trying to be relevant in sports, not give you coupons. Now, there's a place for coupons, and coupons are easy to measure, you can take out an ad, you can put out a coupon, and you can see how many people redeem the coupon. You can measure how many people more you know, buy your stuff when they see your ads. And that is direct marketing, or some people I think call it performance marketing. Mm -hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. 
But if, if, if you only look at that part of marketing, you're missing all this other stuff we've talked about. Loyalty and co-creation and collaboration and trust and information and speed of information and all these amazing things that come with building a brand, which we're all doing to some extent anyway. We, we're just not thinking of community in a Gatorade sense. We're thinking about it in a Powerade sense. And what I challenge people to think about in this book, why not be the Gatorade of your industry? Stop having deals and SEO and coupons and all this stuff. Create this powerful emotional connection that's so profound that even when your competitor comes in, like Powerade, they think it's you because you dominate they you, because you dominate their their there's their peace of mind. Yeah. And you write, uh, reframing community as an extension of brand marketing is an advantage because brand marketing is something that most companies already understand. Now, if you're trying to build a community and you're not working for a company that understands brand marketing, you may have a little bit more uh, work cut out for you. But I love the way you explained this. So, I should also mention that the last third of the book is all about the emerging technologies that enable community. And it was just fascinating. We don't really have time to get into that. So, Mark, let me just ask you, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? We may, I think community is an important part of the future of marketing that's been overlooked and as I, as I said and you said, we may not have a choice. The customer is the marketer. And how do we create those marketers? It's through community. What I would encourage everyone to think about is could community be part of our marketing portfolio and strategy going forward? And a great way to think about that and consider that is to read this book, which is unique in this way that it's it's the first book to ever really look at community through the lens of of marketing strategy read the book think about it maybe it'll create a competitive advantage for you and that sounds like one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the ideas for your book is just think could we have community as part of our marketing strategy as i was reading this book i was thinking what could i do with this uh, podcast, with this audience, you know, and yo, you definitely could, you yeah, definitely could. So it really had me thinking about that. So and and, and you know, and I also want to say, community is it's it's hard work, but all of marketing is hard. I mean, <laughs> yes, I, yes. I, I I mean, you 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 and I, you know, have been around long enough to connect the dots. And I don't know about you, but I can say with some authority, this is the hardest time to ever be in marketing. So if you're going to work really, really hard, you know, and your SEO isn't really working and your Facebook ads aren't really working like they used to, maybe you should work hard on something that could really differentiate your brand, and that might be community. Well said. Well said. And uh, there is uh, oh, an opportunity for folks to join your community at businessesgrow.com slash belonging. And I'm going to include a link to that on the website page at marketingbookpodcast.com for everybody to, to find it. There's all kinds of uh, great things there. And you can start to explore and see how, how Mark does it. And even in the book, you talk quite a bit about, you know, kind of the zigs and zags you had. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great 
you know, cautionary tale, there's going to be zigs and zags. <laughs> if you're not comfortable yeah. with that, eh, mm-hmm. this maybe isn't your the thing you should be doing. But at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including uh, all the books that have been mentioned and your site and your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter account. And I hope that all you listeners will reach out to Mark in some way and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Heck, congratulate him on becoming a member of the Marketing Book Podcast 8 Timers Club. Send an Elvis meme. I mean, there's 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 a lot of options for you people out there. And he already Tons, said, I, so can't, many. I can't do the Elvis meme. But, no, you can't start with you. But let's have some fun out there and reach out to Mark and thank him. And, you know, the guests on the show have told me how much they enjoy hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners. And, Mark, you can understand, not just because they're – Really ridiculously good-looking people. So, also, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Podcast and your favorite podcast app like Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. Final quote, page 227. I hope you've been inspired by the vast opportunity of community-based marketing. It's not quick or easy. But what marketing is these days Great marketing isn't about conformity and following the pack. Success comes through nonconformity and finding a distinctive, meaningful way to earn the attention of your customers. It's time to get off the ad wagon and create something so bold, so fun, so unmissable that your customers can't wait to belong to your brand. The book is Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy. The author is Mark Schaefer. Mark, thank you so much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast. Doug, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm grinning from ear to ear because this was so much fun. And thank you so much, as always, for being the best interviewer, being so well prepared, and bringing so much value to your audience. My pleasure. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. For a copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you are one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune.